This is WBUR's All Things Considered. I'm Lisa Mullins. Christopher C. Gorham teaches modern American history to high schoolers in Westford, Massachusetts. Several years ago, he was captivated by a photograph from the middle of the 20th century. It showed President Harry Truman speaking animatedly with a woman identified as the Assistant Secretary of Defense, Anna Rosenberg. Gorham had never heard of her. There was no biography of her, nothing that would even hint at the singular power this woman wielded, not just with Truman, but with presidents before and after. Gorham tracked down Anna Rosenberg's archives at Harvard, and he was stunned by what he found. There was handwritten letters from Harry Truman, President Roosevelt, Eleanor Roosevelt, General Eisenhower, Lyndon Johnson. It was just on and on. It was a treasure trove of history. All written to Anna. Yes, yes. Anna Rosenberg was the top woman at the Pentagon during the Truman administration as it desegregated the armed forces. President Eisenhower nominated her for the Medal of Freedom, and LBJ sought her counsel during the battles over civil rights. But Rosenberg played her most pivotal roles during Franklin Roosevelt's presidency. Chris Gorham felt her accomplishments shouldn't be lost to history, so he wrote her biography. It's called The Confidant. He says Anna's story begins in Hungary. She was born there around 1900. Her family was Jewish, and anti-Semitism was growing. Her father lost his job and sought refuge in New York. Anna and the family joined him there two years later. By then, he was a fiercely patriotic American. He loved the idea of voting, of jury duty. He, the American flag brought tears to his eyes. And young Anna you know, really saw that in her father, and, and it became part of her life. She said... You know, every time I leave the United States, I come back with a renewed love. She had a great way about her, and I think that served her well on the diplomatic front and on the personal front. She was demure. I know you say she spoke with a light Hungarian accent with a bit of the Bronx where she grew up kind of mixed in. She was genuine, I should say that, to start. But she was a chameleon insofar as if she was talking to a Teamsters union of truckers, she could talk tough. You know, she could use some of the salty language. But she could also be, like you say, demure, and she could be uh, very womanly. She also had a wonderful relationship with women. And it was just a very rare combination of skills of EQ that Anna Rosenberg possessed. And under FDR, she became his top labor troubleshooter. And there's one chapter that I especially like that you have on on uh, what's called the Buffalo Plan. It was the fall of 1942. She took on the issue of a shortage of workers in Buffalo. And Buffalo, New York at the time, was a hub of production for aircraft and ships and ordnance for the war effort. FDR wanted to find out about the labor crisis and what could be done to fill the gaps. So she proceeded to get command of the situation and create an entire workforce where there had been none. How did she go about doing this? Roosevelt sends Anna Rosenberg and makes her the czar of the situation, the labor czar of of that region. And she said right away, we're going to need more women. And it wasn't just single women. It was married. It was married with children. And they were going to need child care and they were going to need housing and they were going to need a place to cash their checks at two in the morning when they got out of work. And she thought of all those things. I mean, aside from the job, she thought of all the ancillary things that had to go with this to make it work. There was parks that were kept open and heated. There was movie theaters that were kept open for these women. You mean like at five in the morning? Absolutely. So they would have a movie to go through if they were working that shift. And not only women, but black Americans. And when the leaders of Buffalo resisted, Anna lectured them and said, this is no time for disunity. This is no time for discrimination. It's all hands on deck. And disabled Americans, everybody pitched in, and those contracts were fulfilled. 
and uh, we were able to fight the war on all the fronts. There was uh, one interesting anecdote that you have, that there was a, a bored young woman in a factory in Buffalo. This woman was punching out tiny screws on a machine, and Anna said to her, this is pretty monotonous, huh? And the woman yes, said yes, and so Anna grabs her arm and follows her through the manufacturing process. To what end? They link arms, and they go through the factory, and they find out that those little tiny screws that this woman was putting together all day long were part of a gun sight for a fighter plane. And the woman had a totally different look on her face, and it was a look of pride. And this plan, the Buffalo plan, became a national model. How? The folks in charge of airplane manufacturing on the West Coast, shipbuilding on the East Coast, they took the Buffalo plan and they grafted it everywhere uh, from coast to coast, and it allowed the arsenal of democracy to fire on all cylinders for the duration of the war. She was dispatched by FDR to the battlefield twice. What was her role and how did she execute it? Just a few weeks after D-Day, Anna finds herself following the General Patton's army across France, and she's sleeping in the tents, she's eating rations off the hoods of jeeps, and she's listening to these guys, these, these soldiers, and they're pulling pictures out of their helmets and telling her stories and sharing their dreams and their hopes for the future. And what she found is that they wanted an education. They wanted to go to college. This generation of Great Depression and then war had never even dreamed that that was a possibility. But if they made it back alive, that's what they wanted to do. And they wanted health care, and that became part of the, a major part of the GI Bill. Absolutely. She had a nickname, Seven Job Anna. Tell us about some of the other jobs that she had. Well, she had two executive positions in the New Deal, a half dozen wartime positions. They used to call it manpower, but it was really a personnel position. She then turned to veterans affairs. She loved the guys that she had spent time with in Europe. She'd seen what they'd seen, the death, the destruction, the widows, the orphans. And she knew they were different people when they came back to the States than when they'd left. So she worked very, very assiduously for Veterans Affairs. With all that she accomplished, why do you think there had been no previous book about her, including an autobiography, a memoir? I think she provided a moving target for historians. And one of the reasons was her own reluctance to trumpet her accomplishments. And that a lot of it was related to her name. You know, she shared the surname Rosenberg with the Atomic Spies, and there is no relation. No relation at all. In fact, Rosenbergs around the country were shunned and lost friends. And But Anna didn't want to trumpet her own accomplishments in part because of the name. And she also, all the folks that had worked in the New Deal and through with Roosevelt during World War II had written memoirs. And she found that distasteful. The me and FDR memoir uh, industrial complex was not to her liking. And she thought, you know, I've been told in the Oval Office and in the sunroom of the White House and over lunches and dinners, one-on-one with President Roosevelt, all these things... And I'm going to keep the confidence. And she was the confidant, after all. Christopher Gorham, thank you. Thank you, Lisa, for having me, and thanks to your listeners. Christopher C. Gorham is the author of the book The Confidant, the untold story of the woman who helped win World War II and shape modern America.